As Israel's ground offensive appears to be imminent, concerns are growing that Israel could soon be facing a two-front war and that Iran could get directly involved. So what's the state of terrorism on a global scale? I'm Veronica Dudo. Let's find out. This is In America Today from the Ticker News Studios in New York City. Hello and welcome. Coming up, Congress remains at a standstill as it's unable to move forward with President Biden's request for security assistance for Israel and Ukraine until the House elects a new speaker. But first, Israel has declared war against Hamas after the terrorist group infiltrated the country on October 7th, firing thousands of rockets at residential areas and butchering civilians. Israel has declared war against Hamas after they infiltrated. Now, at least 4,200 people have been killed in the war on both sides, including at least 1,400 Israeli civilians and soldiers, along with 30 Americans. Palestinian health authorities say at least 2,800 Palestinians have been killed and more than 10,000 wounded. Meanwhile, 13 American citizens are unaccounted for. Now concerns are growing that Israel could soon be facing a two-front war and that Iran could get directly involved. For more, let's bring in Oz Sultan, the chief strategist with the Sultan Interactive Group. Oz, thanks so much for your time today. Thank you for having me. Now, the IDF is evacuating towns within a mile and a half of the Lebanon border after Hezbollah launched an attack. How likely is it mm-hmm. that Israel will soon face a two-front war? So um, Ambassador Mark Wallace of the Counter-Extremism Project uh, put out a notice this morning, a blanket notice, basically stating that Hezbollah uh, stated that they don't see any impact to the war from them getting involved. Um, But this is complicated because the $6 billion that President Biden had allocated in the prisoner exchange uh, that happened a couple of weeks ago um, has currently been frozen in Qatar. And uh, that's where the money's sitting in banks. Uh, There's also an additional movement by the counter-extremism project to get other companies and organizations involved internationally in continuing to put pressure on Qatar to freeze the $6 billion that's sitting from uh, old oil trade deals um, that shouldn't be repatriated to Iran, especially in this situation. We're also dealing with a complicated landscape because outside of the civilian casualties on both sides and the the horrors of what's going on inside of Palestine, we're also faced with a bigger problem. And that is that you have a Shiite Iran that is utilizing a Sunni Hamas, you know, separatist now terrorist organization as basically cannon fodder. And by doing this, it's creating a situation uh, that becomes kind of untenable. Now, Israel had kind of boxed things around uh, the border um, by going in and, you know, I, I don't know if this is a violation of international law or not, but they bombed the airports of Aleppo and Damascus. So what that does is that limits any kind of aerial strike that might be utilizing those airports to to target Israel, because it's much longer to, to fly a long range uh, vehicle from Iran. But the challenges are still very great. Um, You know, the leveraging of technology inside of this has seen uh, a a tremendous amount of angles. 
there is some AI, there is uh, a lot of uh, analysis that's ongoing, um, but the impacts are clearly known. We've lost you know, a significant amount of Israelis. We lost uh, a couple of New Yorkers. Uh, there was a press conference this morning where we had uh, several police officers that were training um, from the state of New York that, uh, that were part of the fallen. Um, and then we have the ongoing casualties and, and the horrors going on in Palestine right now um, that need to stop and we need remediation for this. But it's very unclear as to what the long term is going to be. It's also further unclear what's going to happen if, uh, if Iran does get directly involved and how that might drive additional border skirmishes with Syria as well as Lebanon. Now, Israeli officials say Iran is the mastermind behind the strikes in the country's northern region, they're, that they're also moving weapons through Syria. How likely is it that Iran does get involved in this conflict? More than likely, um, if they don't get that billion dollars released to them sometime inside of the next 30 days, they're going to stick their nose into this. And that bodes very unfortunate for the entirety of the Middle East and the world at large, because this is the kind of conflict, the existential conflict that we've talked about since the 1960s, which has Iran pitted against Israel, each seeing each other as evil. Um, but the, the challenge that we have is, you know, from a Middle Eastern perspective and from a Sunni Muslim perspective, speaking personally, the, the largest challenge here is that Iran has positioned themselves as a separatist nation, a supporter of terror internationally. They have gotten themselves into a place where they, they combat funded Hamas. You know, Hamas has evolved over the course of years. And the challenge we have now is that with Irani funds, they become a terror group. And the long-term look of what is actually going to happen on the ground is very much unknown. It is also further unknown, as we talked about last week, you know, what Iran's going to do to get additional weapons, additional artillery into uh, Hamas's hands. And Hamas being in that northern part of Palestine really, you know, puts a, a catch-22 situation that makes not only the United States, but Israel look kind of like the baddie in one way with all of the civilian deaths. But on the opposite side, you know, there's the big question of what exactly can be done to eradicate Hamas inside of uh, inside of this context. And, and that honestly, at the end of the day, bodes nothing more than just a, a policy nightmare and an ongoing situational nightmare um, for you know, all nations involved. Now, the Iranian foreign minister is traveling in the region for meetings and said that if the Gaza offensive continues, Iran will get involved. He also threatened America, mm -hmm. stating that if this war does expand, significant damages would occur on the U.S. So how are intelligence networks operating now and working to try and stop any potential uh, attacks here on American soil? So um, Republican uh, House member Mark Molinero just shared that uh, two Iranis that actually popped up in the terror flag list were apprehended at the border. I think we need a couple of things in order to, to kind of securitize this. Number one, we need a clampdown in border policy, at least for the near term, more than likely for the long term. Number two, we need a coordinated effort in between local police state police and federal agencies in order to syndicate these terror databases so that we can actually start catching people with facial recognition. And lastly, and above all, 
looking at the context of the attacks that have happened and my friends that are Jewish and colleagues of mine who have Palestinian friends that have been murdered in Chicago, we're getting hate crime all over the place. Okay. So there's, there's a third existential threat and that becomes domestic terrorists that become motivated by this that are not Iranian. So I think the, the look that we're going to have to take from a policing perspective is one, the counterterrorism against Iranis, Iranian dissidents, people who are on the terror list, Al Qaeda, and associated groups that Iran has funded. And then secondarily, we're going to have to look at the domestic terror issue as well. And this is very problematic for Jewish and Muslim communities. And it's even more problematic for the policing. Um, you know, New York City turned on, they, they put all 50,000 cops that we have in uniform uh, last weekend. Um, and, but that can't continue on an ongoing basis. So I think a mixture of technology plus sensible policing in between agencies coupled with, you know, just some effective, if you see something, say something, needs to be leveraged uh, because this is becoming a problem for all Americans. And this is becoming bleed over that's going to become far worse if Iran gets involved. With about a minute left, what is the potential use for artificial intelligence in this situation? Multifold. Um, you know, number one, we could be utilizing facial recognition on not just borders, but I think it should be all interstate uh, crossing. So anytime you're going through a toll checkpoint and look, this becomes, you know, it, from my perspective, sitting on the board of XRSI, we're all about protecting private rights, protecting your data rights. But the challenge that we have is right now, there's a catch 22 in between securing our borders and looking at terror dissidents that are actually inside of our country. And the place that you're gonna catch them is when they are traveling. And that's likely gonna be AI utilized with facial recognition at the border, AI utilized with facial recognition at every single toll checkpoint in the United States, and some active policing. Um, and that's also gonna have to be you know, tied back into protecting communities, largely Jewish and Muslim communities who are gonna be the most affected. Oz, thank you so much for your time today. Representative Jim Jordan's bid to become House Speaker is gaining momentum with several Republican holdouts now throwing their support behind the Ohio lawmaker. Jordan will face a crucial vote in the House on Tuesday at noon. He needs 217 GOP votes in the closely divided chamber. U.S. Representative Jim Jordan emerged on Friday as the Republicans' second House Speaker nominee in a week. But even though closed-door votes left Jordan with the backing of a majority of House Republicans, he was still shy of the 217 votes he would need to seize the Speaker's gavel. After an initial vote in which Jordan beat out Representative Austin Scott for the nomination, the second round of voting did not result in much more support for the Ohio congressman. As lawmakers said, about one in four House Republicans cast a ballot purely against Jordan. Since Republicans control the chamber by a narrow margin, they cannot afford to lose more than four votes if Democrats vote against Jordan, as they are expected to do. Jordan, who serves as House Judiciary Committee chair, tormented Republican leaders for years as a vocal advocate for the party's right wing. 
He has the endorsement of former President Donald Trump. He also has the endorsement of Kevin McCarthy, who was ousted as House Speaker on October 3rd in a historic vote. Jordan narrowly lost the nomination on Wednesday to Steve Scalise, who was seen as the heir apparent to McCarthy. But Scalise abandoned his bid on Thursday after it became clear he could not consolidate Republicans behind him. Without a speaker, the House is at a deadlock as war expands in the Middle East, Russia continues to pound Ukraine, and the U.S. government faces a November 17th partial shutdown deadline without additional funding from Congress. Thanks for watching In America Today. I'm Veronica Dudo. For more, head to tickernews.co. I'll see you soon. More right after this.